You don't normally start off a show with a user comment, but I don't know if there's anything more fitting than what Andrew Seiler just put in our live YouTube chat. Ah, yes, John Sheeran. The Cincinnati Bengals win another playoff game. They are 4-1 and one in the last two years in the playoffs with their one loss being in the Super Bowl and driving for the win in that game. They just keep on rolling. They keep beating teams. People keep doubting them, and here we are. Man, uh, you were there. I, I mean, I'm Anthony, by the way, and he's John, the man, the myth, the legend, the good luck charm. He was at the game last night. I tried to get there, man. I, uh, man, flights were unbelievable, so I couldn't, I couldn't get out there. But I'm sure it was epic. You, sir, have a story to tell about your experience at the stadium. Did you? First of all, did you go? Did you do the tailgates? Did you either go to gyms or go to uh, uh, Bengal Bomb Squad or both or, or any of that? I went to the very luxurious hilltop lot with the, okay. um, you know, like the whole concrete action going on there. Very nice place to tailgate with my family, uh, some cousins, some friends. Did the whole thunderstruck circle thing in the beginning, you know. So, <laughs> lot, lot of liquid was flowing uh, before the game. Game was insane. Like obviously, the crowd was was great. It was very much like what the Bills game was in the first ten minutes of that one. They had the light show in the beginning and everything. Just a phenomenal game. January fifteenth is <clears throat> it's pretty good for for Bengals fans nowadays. You know, uh, it exactly, is. It is exactly one year ago. Um, is when the Raiders game happened, and then you had a game that ended up finishing in a very similar way as well. And j- just real quick though, because it was like a the game ended at like around eleven ten, eleven fifteen Eastern time around here. Traffic was insane. I was parked a few blocks up north in, in downtown, and I wanted to just like you know chill just to let the traffic die down. So I went to uh, the Blind Pig, you know, just on a whim. Like, I'll, I'll just chill here, you know, I'll get get a drink. Uh, ran into some some cool dudes named Connor and Kyler, and we and they were buying me drinks. They were buying me shots. I'm like, oh, crap, oh, what's going on? Wow, and, wow. Yeah, so, like, you know, after a couple of drinks, I had to go to the bathroom. You know, I was I, I hadn't gone since, like, before the game. And I'm in the bathroom, and I'm hearing, like, this yelling going on outside in the bar, like, more than usual. And I walk out and everyone has their phones out and like someone's talking on the speaker and it's not the DJ. It's Zach Taylor. He's there with the he's there with the game ball. And I was in the bathroom for half of his epic speech that is now viral. But but I saw him. I saw him give the ball to like the bartenders. I saw the end of the speech. I saw him like walk off and high five everyone like crap. dude! I just missed half of this epic moment. I I was here off a whim. Had no idea he was going to be there. And yeah, I was pissing away. Um you know all, all this beer that i drink and i miss zach taylor so well, yeah you never you, end, never, you never you never what is it what's the old saying you never uh actually own a beer or drink the beer you just rent it right it just yeah you know uh wow is is blind pig the one that's the um the rooftop one that's kind of outdoors yeah so it's it's just like a it, right across it, from the stadium right right it's, it's right there yeah. so i mean zach just Oh my god that's awesome dude away. That's awesome. i'm sorry you missed i'm sorry you missed part of it but <laughs> I mean, th- honestly, that was like the last thing I remember from last night. I- I'm not even sure how I got home at, th- at that point, but it-, it-, it was a great night. Most of it was a blur. Um, shout out to Connor and Kyler, though. My-, my buddy's a blind pig. Nice. That's awesome. And uh, the jackass of all trades, our-, our friend here, John, needs to become our scout. We need someone to find us offensive linemen. We will talk about that. There are some offensive linemen issues with the Bengals, but they come up victorious in this one. 24-17, the Baltimore Ravens with Tyler Huntley just cannot get past the 17-point threshold. They just can't. They don't, they, don't know, they don't know how to do it. They came awfully close. 
uh, with, with of course, one of the biggest plays in Cincinnati Bengals history. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But uh, all right, John, just your your overall impressions of how the team played in this one, because we knew it was going to be a dogfight. We knew there was going to be, you know, some chippiness to it, and there was early. But then, you know, it, it, it just kind of settled in, AFC North, kind of slugfest, and Bengals come out on top. Not the prettiest win, but they come out on top. Yeah, I mean, we we all knew kind of what this game was going to be. Like you said, the, along with the chippiness, you knew that the Ravens' defense is going to show up. It's it's an incredible unit. knows the Bengals' offense really well. But I still think the Bengals' offense played pretty well for, for most of this game. It was towards the end when they couldn't finish it out. And that was all like last year's um, a playoff win against the Raiders where they had a chance to really close the game in the fourth quarter and, and they just let mistakes kind of get in the way. You saw you know Jackson Carmen break down a little bit at left tackle. He was doing fine, I think, for the first 20 or so snaps that he had, but he ended up giving up the sack. He had the, he had the false start. Um, you, you know, just a lot of things that kind of come with the territory of just being thrown out there in a position that he hasn't really played in since college, obviously. So th- there's that issue to obviously look out for. There were some drops that were had, like Jamar Chase had one, Joe Mixon had one, T. Higgins had one, albeit that one was pretty pretty close. So th- there was offensive e- efficiency to be had in the first half. That's where he had the touchdown. And then there was that one stretch where you had, off, right after a Jamar Chase false start, you had back-to-back completions to Chase, who creates separation off comeback routes. Then you had the near the near touchdown for Hayden Hurst. That would have been so sweet. Oh he man, it would have been against the Ravens in the playoffs. So the offense, I think, overcame some str- some struggles early on. But you you do have to wonder now that you have three backup offensive linemen probably starting against the Buffalo Bills. In this game specifically, you had a very low success rate passing the ball on first and second down, relying a lot to move the chains on third down. It's a lot kind of like last year, right? You're overcoming some bad protection, and you're relying on some of those high-variance plays that you can't always you know, expect to you know, keep up with, with consistency over a week-to-week basis. So this is obviously a tough defense. It's the toughest one they have to face, but those are just, I think, some issues that you have to keep an eye on. I think from what I saw, and I, I plan to rewatch and, and especially hone in on him, but I, I think Max Sharping did okay. Uh, I mean, there were some there were some issues uh, up front, obviously, but I mean, for the situation he was thrown in, I didn't see him being a you know a glaring glaring liability. Uh, but obviously, the team only mustered two point eight yards per carry as a team. I think it was fifty one total yards on the ground. Got outrushed by a hundred yards on the ground by the Baltimore Ravens. It, the one thing that kind of Stuck in my cry, I guess, a little bit with this one, John, is that you knew. And now, let me let me back up. The Bengals' defense. You, I could name a player, and they probably had a big play, uh, a positive big play in this game. Zachary Carter had a couple of nice tackles. Chris Collinsworth was all over that on the telecast. B.J. Hill has a sack. Sam Hubbard, obviously, the re- the return for the touchdown. Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, teaming up on that one to to. I mean. Just name a player, and they they likely had a big play at, at this point. The problem was is they didn't string them together very often, and and they you know the game plan. I, I think a lot of people knew what the game plan was going to be for the most part by the Baltimore Ravens on offense with Tyler Huntley at quarterback. Right, it was going to be a lot of running. You're you're going to get the occasional pass to Mark Andrews, maybe maybe an occasional pass to the wide receivers there, but it was going to be a lot of Mark Andrews. It's going to be a lot of the three headed monster running back, and then Tyler Huntley trying to do some things as well. I thought that they did pretty well, save for one or two occasions against Tyler Huntley, the runner. Um, I, I think they did, you know, pretty well against him. Uh, the running backs, though, I, I think they had four and a half yards per carry as a team. The Baltimore Ravens, 150 yards on the ground. 
you kind of knew this was coming and yet still this Bengals defense still kind of allowed them to do a lot of the things they wanted to do and keep this game close, which was a little concerning to me. Yeah, I think you had great games out of Reader, BJ Hill and Zach Carter, yep. who I feel like yep. had one of his best games of the season, but that's all in, in the interior, right? You had those guys out there in that in that five two front for the majority of the game. Some most of the time against Lamar Jackson, you, you're typically going out, going out there with a four three defense, which is why you see Keem Davis Gaither more times against the Ravens than any other team. That wasn't really the case in this one. They went with those heavy uh, personnel packages up front. And the, when the Ravens tried to rush up the middle, I, f- I felt like the Bengals did a good job of holding the, the ground. But the Ravens do just a, this great job of sealing off the edge for some of these exterior runs. Their, t- their tight ends do a great job of blocking. I feel like you know Sam Hubbard and Trey Henderson maybe didn't have their best games of setting the edge. And then you had some of those outside zone plays where you had the linebackers just over pursuing and at least the cutback lanes for guys like you know Justice Hill and J.K. Dobbins who are just insane athletes. And you know they, they definitely got the better of the, of the second level of the Bengals defense from time to time, and it led to some of those explosive plays. So, so I feel like Tyler Huntley played really well in this game. He made a lot of plays out of the pocket, made a lot of great throws, a lot, mm-hmm. more, a lot more throws than I would have expected him uh, to make and actually complete. So, you know, he, he kept him in the game more than I think most people expected. But while Sam Hubbard's play, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, is obviously the highlight here. I think there are also some other plays on defense that kind of went under the radar. Jesse Bates obviously saved the touchdown right beforehand, yep. and he tackled... Yep. Um, him at the two yard line, but I think Bates saved another touchdown earlier in the game when it was right before the the first half ended and you had Huntley rolling out to the right and there was like, like a levels concept to the right, but he threw across his body back towards the pack side of the field where Mark Andrews was. And you had two Ravens block uh, blockers kind of sealing out both Mike Hilton and Jesse Bates, but Bates kind of knifed through the block and made a tackle on Andrews. And that forced the Ravens to call a timeout there at the end of the second half, but potentially saved a touchdown there. Ravens only settled for three. That pretty kind of changed the game a lot at, at that point. And then Cam Sample with his pass deflection right before uh, Jermaine Pratt, Logan Wilson forced that fumble. There was a lot of key moments in this game. Gonna get... two, uh, two tackles for loss as well. I mean, right. he, he was in there doing a lot of stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. And like Hilton didn't play that much because again, the, the Bengals were mainly in that five, two fronts, but he made the most out of his snaps and we're, we, we really shouldn't forget Akeem, Dav- Akeem Davis's game yeah. interception, which is a lot like what Trey Flowers did against Tom Brady. It was a very similar coverage, and he read the play almost ex- exactly the same way, and, and he managed to catch the ball. So a lot of great moments that are going to get overshadowed over time because we're going to look back at the Hubbard play and the legacy of that, but just another phenomenal game by this defense. It's making plays when it counts. You know, again, it was more just kind of uh, instead of, you know, just making play after play, it was just kind of like, Big plays that came at really opportune times, right? Um, or or if there were a play after play, it was like one play that set up the big play type of thing. So, um, you know, I, I guess I just really look at that 17-play drive that Baltimore had, and you go, oh, boy, that was just, right. oh, God. It felt like it was forever since the Bengals had the ball again after that one. But, uh, hey, they're playing well. I, I, I do give Baltimore credit because they did with, with a backup quarterback, and, I mean, they, they stuck to a script and, and a blueprint – as to how they should have won this game. And they, they basically stuck to it and came pretty close. I mean, they just kind of made one, one more turnover than the Bengals did. And that resulted in a touchdown game was pretty close throughout. And we, we kind of figured it would be, but um, anyway, that's uh, a little bit on, on the defense and whatnot concerns about the running game though, John, because I saw, you know, a couple of spots in this game, there are a couple of early downs where the Bengals were able to kind of shoot off a nice run and get a nice gain, from mixing six yards, seven yards here and there, but for the most part, trying to get any consistency there. And I know it's going to be difficult against 
this defense as well as with two and then three offensive linemen out of the lineup. Um, you know, I, I, I just concerned for balance, I guess, and uh, keeping other teams honest going forward here, especially with the offensive line issues. Yeah, and I think they're not going to be apologetic and just you know letting Joe cook and just putting him out on shotgun for 40 times a game. But at the same time, when you're playing a defense like that with fast as hell linebackers and just a, a defensive front that's just really stout, like Matabuke, Calais Campbell, Broderick Washington, those guys, they don't give up a lot of ground. So you're you're in this situation where, okay, you can't really run with the middle because you, Max Sharping can't get a lot of push. You know, Cordo Volsum was having some struggles backing on the block side or blocking on the backside, excuse me. And then when you try to run outside, you have Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith just, just scraping over the top, right? And they can get out to the edge really fast. So it, it was it was not a great opportunity for this run game to, to really catch a lot. But it's really it's kind of surprising, though, because the Ravens' defense entering, I think, last week, in the last five weeks of regular season, they were like bottom eight in uh, rushing success rate allowed. Yeah. So for, for, for whatever reason, they were not having... Uh, great success stopping the run entering this game, but the Bengals' offensive line is just going through some struggles right now. They're, they're just interchanging a lot of guys because of injury, and I think it's mudding up the scheme a little bit, and you have to really adjust what you can do with the personnel out there, and, and then they have to go through this whole thing again now with the new left tackle. Well, I, I, I don't know. Overall, I mean, I, some of the offensive issues, I called it kind of efficient and cautious. Those were kind of the words that I use and careful, I guess, maybe not cautious, but careful. Um, meaning, you know, you just, you had to limit the turnovers. The Bengals did have one on the Hurst fumble, but um, you know, Joe protected the ball. Well, had two touchdowns and, you know, did, did what he needed to do. Um, but still the explosiveness wasn't there. And I personally kind of just chalk it up to the, the defense that they played. I don't know if you see it the same way, just because this defense kind of just has, star players or very good players in all levels of their defense. And again, like they know the Bengals very well. Like they know what they like to do. They they know what they're trying to do. And I feel like it's almost the opposite um, in a way with the Bengals defense, because you had Jesse Bates, uh, I think after the game say like, yeah, we're no more triple option. Like we're going on to real football now. (laughs) We're moving on to (laughs) Buffalo. Like, I think there's a frustration in defending like what the Ravens do in the run game. That kind of leads to some of these performances, right? You have to change a lot of your keys and, and, and everything because of what the Ravens can do and the versatility that comes with it. So while the Ravens are very familiar with the Bengals scheme and everything, and they have the athletes to match up with it, it it's an aspect that the Bengals kind of struggle with and just defending the unpredictability of the Ravens scheme. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're glad that they don't have to deal with it anymore. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Out of the way, 
What's in the way, though, John, is a Jonah Williams injury. We don't know the timeline on it. He dislocated, I think, the other kneecap uh, that he dislocated from the very first game against this team. Now, yeah. in that game, he left for a few few plays and actually ended up coming back and playing. And in that, uh, I think he ended up spraining a ligament and you know dislocating that kneecap. No structural damage there. They have to see what's going on here. I think we're waiting for more word on that, at least as of earlier on Monday. But there was a knee dislocation. You know, you can't just base what happened and how he was able to recover and play through that. Uh, you you can't automatically apply that here, right? I mean, that that's it's a it's a different leg, different injury, all that kind of stuff. We have to see if there's more structural damage. So, you know, there's a chance he comes back sooner than we think. There's a chance that it's worse than we than this last one, and he's not going to play at least for this week. So, what do the Bengals do here on on the offensive line? It looks like Cap is not going to be around for the postseason either. What what do we do? <laughs> I like Deja Vu's comment. Tape it up and get him out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah rub I, some I mean, dirt on it. Rub well, some dirt well, on it. Well, here's the thing, man. Like it popped out of place in week five, and then they they put it back in place. Like they were able to do that, but not every knee dislocation is the same. Football players are insane. This man has dislocated both of his knees in a two month span and has still managed to play through one of them. Side right? note. Side note. Do you know how gross, at least aesthetically, yes. how, well, how no, gross of an sounds terrible that a, a dislocated kneecap is? It is disgusting. And the fact that a guy went out there the first time that it happened and went back out there and played a couple of plays later and then had it happen again to the other leg, gross. Anyway, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate you doing so because we need to emphasize how insane this is and that the fact yeah. that it happened twice and obviously not every knee dose location is the same. This one was a little bit more severe and it happened to the other one. So, like, it wasn't just a case of, oh, it popped out again. Let's just pop it back in place. No, it was completely new knees. It was a completely different type of dislocation. And I believe Zach Taylor said he was week to week. So whatever that means, but he's not going to play this week because the old week to week, the old Zach right. Taylor week to week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like I, I wouldn't count him. I wouldn't count on him returning for the for the postseason. To say they make it even to the Super Bowl, but like maybe maybe he could come back for the Super Bowl. But again, it's it's just almost pointless to kind of um, identify what week to week means when you're talking about an injury where you don't have a ton of information on it. Can they get by with what you saw from Jackson Carmen? What we know about Jackson Carmen, at least uh, the playing stuff. Uh, can they get by with with him? at left tackle again a position he played in college and that's but but immediately when they drafted him they're like you're gonna play guard so i mean is this something that has some viability the one thing that kind of gives me a little bit of a spark of positivity with i mean i'm hopeful for the kid but if you go back to week 18 and when he was the tackle eligible the extra tackle on the field and he caused that scrum on the other side where he just absolutely buried the man he was blocking See, these are the types of things with Jackson Carmen that I've noticed where it's just wildly inconsistent, where you get absolutely dominant snaps and you get snaps where you go, what just happened? What just happened here? So to me, it's just you got to be able to level that out if you're Jackson Carmen and, and yeah, still have some of those dominating snaps, but just not so many wildly inconsistent snaps that you put on tape as well. Yeah, it kind of. Well, I actually don't know what the inactive list was. I don't know if Deontay Smith was active for this game, but like he's like a left tackle for them. So yeah. if both of them were active, I would have assumed that he would have gone in, but I guess he wasn't active in this game. I think the Isaiah Prince variable kind of comes back into play here because you had him not actually going to start at right tackle. That was more smoke than mirrors, but like he's practicing 
at tackle for the practice squad. He's gotten those second team reps. I think, you know, he has experience at left tackle. I don't know if you move Akeem Adeniji to left tackle now, even though he was a left tackle in college. If he's comfortable now at right tackle, he's gotten those practice practice reps. Maybe you want to keep him there. There's just a lot they have to think about. I, I think personally, I would definitely consider you know, seeing what Isaiah Prince has at left tackle now because you, you're down to basically no options. I don't know if you can trust Jackson Carmen starting an entire game at left tackle. Yeah. Well, they've got a, a lot of, you know, moving parts and things to figure out on that uh, on that side. Well, both sides of the line now. So they have to – they cannot keep uh, – and I know it, they got past it last year with, you know, these four sack games in the postseason and what, what was it, eight or nine or whatever against the Titans. I mean, just just ridiculous numbers. How many times? Burrow got sacked four times and got hit eight times last night. That I, I keep saying it's not going to be sustainable, at least to, to the Super Bowl. And I know they got there last year while weathering the storm, but they have to figure they, – they can't keep doing that because it ultimately bit, bit them in the butt in the last game and they just can't – they can't rely on similar results. I know they can't help it because they made major investments on the offensive line and they've lost two, you know, a, a lot of major ones. So um, I don't know, man, I, I just, uh, I, they need to find a way to be able to weather this and not rack up the amount of sacks and hits. We, we know Burrow's going to run into a couple. He always does that. That's, that's just his brand of football, but you, you can't hover around, you know, four, five, six sacks a game in the postseason, it's going to kill you. Especially against a team that doesn't really blitz that much. Like the, the Ravens like to disguise, right. you know, where they're sending pressure and everything, but they're not like overloading. This isn't uh, Don Week Martindale calling that defense anymore, but the Ravens know how to pressure Burrow even with a healthy offensive line, right? So if you if you were to tell me that he was going to have three reserve linemen in this game, I would have assumed at least four sacks, regardless of what Burrow can do in and out of the pocket. And I feel like he had a good he did a good job of managing pressure for the most part in this game. There were some sacks that he avoided, some sacks he just had to take, but that's just as part of it, right? As part of playing an elite defensive front like that. I think you, we should give credit to the Bengals for how they handled the interior part of the line this offseason with drafting Cordo Volson, developing him so quickly into a solid starter, signing a durable guy like Alex Kappa. Like that injury, you can't really expect it. Like it's just a very unfortunate thing that he had to go through. But the depth along the interior with, you know, claiming Max Sharping to, to back him up and, you know, have him be a solid, okay player. Like, the, that, that whole plan and execution was pretty good. Unfortunately, though, they just entered the season with two tackles with, with an injury history. Like, Jonah Williams has suffered injuries in his past. Leo Collins' his whole contract was baked with the realization that he's missed time in the past due to injuries, and now both those guys are, are going to be out for the postseason, and they don't really have a ton of options. So, like, they're going to enter the offseason with a lot of, you know, questions regarding the long-term and short-term viability of their tackle spots. Rob Duncan asked, how are Buffalo's defensive ends? I don't really hear much about them. Well, there's no Von Miller anymore, and they have Gregory Rousseau, who's got, a, at least when we were entering the Monday night game, I think he had seven sacks or something, so he was playing decent football uh, up to that point, but obviously not having Von Miller is a huge, huge loss. Um, so, you know, but they're at that point, too, we were looking at a full uh, no Leo Collins, but, I mean, Kappa and Jonah were obviously in there, so uh, kind of a little bit of a – a coin flip there. And I use that of course, facetiously given the situation in the Bengals going to Buffalo. Now, no coin flips, none of that stuff happening, no neutral field though, either John. And that's the reality of the situation, but the Bengals will take it how they, they had a tough path to the Super Bowl last year. They will have a seemingly tough one this year. 
Uh, we've got one more playoff game to go before we get to uh, a, a little bit of a fun, a, a more fun topic and something we want to talk about with a big play from last night. What were your impressions of all of the games so far this weekend? Obviously, the Chargers-Jags game was just absolutely bananas. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. Were you surprised by a lot of what you saw? Were you um, kind of playing out the way you saw it? I don't know. Well, for, well, for starters, um, I've been betting a little bit since draft um betting became legal in Ohio. I put down like a dollar on Ravens money line and the spread at the beginning of the fourth quarter. So you're welcome for that. Fading my own coal streak is, is the way to go to, in order to get the wins that you need. But you had three playoff games featuring divisional opponents and all three of them were pretty wacky, right? Seattle gave San Francisco a scare in the second quarter. Miami gave Buffalo a heart or like a, an aneurysm with what happened with Skylar Thompson and the fact that Mike, Mike McDaniel couldn't call a play for most of the game, and that was one of the reasons why, unfortunately, they, they just fell up short. So you have teams who are familiar with each other, and that leads to a lot of wackiness and craziness, even in, in the postseason. You know, it doesn't really matter how well you're playing leading up to here. It's a whole new season, right? And you had both of those favorites at home, both two seeds, you know, get, you know, almost lose. And it was a real possibility for the Bills. So seeing that before this game, like, it made me realize that, yeah, like, it's very possible that the Ravens are going to give the Bengals a legitimate scare and a, and a really good, good and competitive game. That's exactly what happened. So I think now you, you have pretty much all the, the best teams remaining at this point. There wasn't really an upset. I don't really know if you consider the Giants or Vikings an upset. I think everyone was kind of predicting that the Vikings would kind of fall up short here, but they're moving on. And now, now they got a team that they faced a couple of weeks ago, but they didn't get to play, play a full game. Bahamas. I think it was last night. Someone was uh, tuning in from France at 7 a.m. That was uh, for our post game show. And now we got Keith, our buddy from the Bahamas. This is awesome. Worldwide, John Sheeran. That's what this show is. And this show is called the Orange and Black Insider. It is a Bengals podcast, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network, where you can get our show, the show from Bengal Jim and Friends. They've had a, a lot of great guests. We've been catching you up on the audio side with. Uh, their their interviews and whatnot. So hopefully you've been enjoying that. And of course, the coach, Matt Minnick, giving you uh, chalk talk and, and coach speak those episodes on the channel. So subscribe through your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of them, we are there. And then if you like and prefer the video, uh, do us a favor, give us a thumbs up on the video and uh, on the YouTube channel that is. Subscribe to it. There is a little icon underneath that Cincy Jungle icon beneath John's little window there. Click that. Subscribe. Click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. We're going to keep peppering you with content. I'm telling you, as these games keep going. And, of course, you can give a thumbs up to the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. We stream live there, as do the others on the podcast network. Thanks for everybody's support. Well, John, I don't know if you heard, there was, I don't know, kind of a big defensive play last night. Did you hear anything about that? I saw it. I didn't believe it until <laughs> it was like halfway over. Well, a lot of talk about, you know, what do we call this thing? And what, I, I want to know what where you would put this in Cincinnati. I mean, I know, you know, obviously there's some recency bias and all that kind of stuff. But I would like to hear where you would place this play by Sam Hubbard, Jermaine Pratt, Logan Wilson. Where where would you put this in terms of biggest Bengals plays ever? Um, not just defensive plays, but ever. Um, obviously, Pratt's interception last year was was a biggie. 
Um, you know, there's there's plenty by the 1988-1982 squad, but I mean, this has to be top five, top three easily in in your opinion. How loud was that place after the, after this happened? I saw Rob said something about you know that the the concrete was shaking because of the jumping <laughs> and the noise and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what? How loud was that place when this when this play occurred? It was so bizarre because like in my mind. The Ravens are at the one or whatever, and they're about to take the lead. And I'm like, I don't want to start the offseason. Like, go through all these offseason content so quickly now. We got <laughs> questions to cover. Like, I don't want to do this yet. Like, is this really going to happen? Uh... And next thing you know, Sam Hubbard has the ball at the 20, and then at the 30, and then at the 40. And then he kept going. And I'm like, oh my God, no one's going to catch him. And I didn't even see the play when it happened. Like, I was, I was looking to, to, to my left, I think when the play was happening because I, I thought he was going to score. I thought Hundley was just going to just sneak it in and the Ravens are going to take the lead. So I was like in a completely different like state of mind while it was happening. And then I like realized like I was came out of shock that it was happening. And then I could hear everything and it was definitely loud. It was definitely ruckus. There was a lot of people in disbelief of what was actually happening, but they were just like, go Sam, go obviously. So like, <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the craziest plays that I ever witnessed, for sure, definitely in person. I would still give the edge to playoff P making that play exactly a year ago, just for the implications of what that play meant to win that game in that specific moment. It was literally the last play of the game it was a walk off interception to break a 31 year playoff drought. I feel like the significance of that still overtakes this specific moment, but this is also the play that confirmed that the Bengals were going to win in a, uh, a postseason game in back-to-back years, which has never happened before, right? It's Sam Hubbard. It's the Cincinnati kid. It's the guy who, close friend of the show, by the way, um, you know, Bengal through and through, a Cincinnati kid through and through. For him to just end up with the ball like that and have two other players, Jermaine Pride and Logan Wilson, you know, spark that play to actually happening, it, it was, it's a crazy play. It's going to end up in Bengals lore for history. I think... What may happen with this play is if the Bengals go on a deep run again, if they end up winning a Super Bowl, going to the Super Bowl, what have you, let's just say it's a a similar, if not better path than what they carved out for themselves last year. I think we then look at this play and maybe you start saying, well, this was the play that got them a Lombardi trophy, right? Or this was the play that started them together. Now, granted, they could make a bunch more miraculous ones in the next the next game or the next handful of games, however long they last here. So, you know, we could, we could say that, but I think we, we do need to look, wait to see how the rest of this postseason plays out because all of a sudden this, this play could, could be the one where you go, wow, you know, the Bengals won the Super Bowl, and you look back at this game and this was, this was kind of, you know, the, the Sam Hubbard play, I'll put that back on the screen. screen. I'm still pl- showing the, the Pratt one, but you know, the Sam Hubbard play is the one where you go, Oh man, this is, this is the one, you know, uh, this is, this was the one that got him over the hump. And I think what made this one, uh, I, I don't know if it's top over Pratt for me yet, but I think what made me think that it, it could be was just the sheer, it's one of those plays where you you look at it and you you see like a lot of good fortune with it. Um, you know that that ball being batted out of Tyler Huntley's hand could have gone any number of directions, and it just landed right where Sam Hubbard was. And when you talk about teams that end up you know winning Super Bowls or you document teams that are really really good or you know have a really good season, these are the types of plays where you go, how in the hell did that just happen? 
Like it just the, the the fortunate bounce of the football. Now, granted, fortune comes from prepared and you know all that kind of stuff. The other thing that I think about with this, and someone put it on Twitter and I retweeted them, it's just man, this year, this Bengals defense, even when they're not having their strongest game, either by a yard standpoint or point standpoint or what have you, they seem to have this weird knack of coming up with a gigantic turnover at one of the most critical points in the game gigantic i mean granted that the interception that Dakeem davis gather had was huge because it was early and it gave the Bengals a touchdown early but this was unbelievable this was a 14 point swing in this game right here this play and ultimately was the difference in the in the football game so that is kind of where i you know i i think it's got to be up there and the, probably in the top three i think pratt is there now but i think as this postseason hopefully continues on for a, a longer stretch you may we may look at this thing and go this this might be the greatest play really ever in Bengals history they've had four playoff wins in a 366 day span and each one of those wins there was a play like this like it's yeah, crazy. yeah. it's crazy to me that thinking like I'm almost desensitized to these moments now because they just happen so frequently and I, I think when it comes to you know luck versus preparedness like there was nothing lucky about what Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson did. Like that's just training. That's going for the ball. Right. Situational awareness where the yard line is. The luck is obviously where the ball ends up. And same how we're just being at that's the right the place part, yeah. at the yeah. right time and then running. Right. I think he said just under 18 miles per hour in a dead sprint, which another factor here that he explained, but I don't think a lot of people realize like that was, was such a long drive. And obviously if you're a defensive lineman, who's not getting you're rotated gassed. out of the game, you're completely cast. And then you're running, I think it was officially 123 yards from when the play started to when the play ended. And, and Sam was just dying for oxygen. Like I, I can't imagine what was going on with his lungs at that moment, but there's just probably so much adrenaline going on. But like these plays just happen so often now for the Bengals. And it's like, we're getting fatigued from just the, the clutchness of this defense. I want to point this out, and this this has nothing really to do with the Hubbard play, but I, I I'll have to find this here if I can uh, if I can pull it up. But did you see how close it was to that hail mary at the end, actually yeah. kind of being being caught? It uh, it was I didn't think it was that close. I just kind of thought it it was sort of in the area and it got batted down based on what I could see from the from TV, and then there was you know another angle of it. I'll have to try and. and find it here on twitter uh i should have had this pulled up here but man it, it, it basically a guy was kind of diving for it and it went right right through his hands and it was really close and it kind of as we look at this play and we, you know the, the the hubbard play and we talk about you know oh wow that just the lucky bounce there but just how fortunate some of these things just end up going your way and that's that's kind of what you know i mean sometimes obviously you're a good team you're you've got a good football team but some of these fortunate bounces and things like that, that go your way, that also kind of paints the picture of a potential deep postseason runner, Super Bowl team. Yeah. These moments matter a lot more. Well, obviously when you do put together that run and if not, they just kind of become like a little blip in the radar and everything like that. But I think it's fair to say that like the Ravens had definite chances to win this game and the Bengals just made the plays they needed to make to, to, to snatch it from them. Like the Ravens played really well. They gave the Bengals a great shot. I think they were definitely motivated just being the underdogs all week but Anthony I want you to take me through that final moment because Chris Collinsworth as you have mentioned a lot has never called a Bengals win right like they're mm -hmm. always on Sunday Night Football have never been able to win with him in the booth so when James Prochet drops that Hail Mary 
like like what was what was that what was that call like was was he like cathartic well, where or we where we were was kind of loud so i couldn't really hear uh there was we were with a, a group of people so i couldn't really hear specifically well i'll have to go back and listen to that he's always been pretty good about being unbiased and all that stuff. and even some people think that he's too biased against the Bengals and whatnot but i i would like to think that he had that trademark smile and that you know what he does and He's probably got to be feeling pretty good for for that team because, man, I, as I mentioned, I think it was either Thursday or or on Twitter or what what have you. It, he hadn't seen him win on Sunday Night Football. The only time the Bengals have won on NBC's Sunday Night Football when they gained rights to that game in 2006, the bank it was the Jermaine Pratt interception game last year, and that was Saturday. And Tarico called that one with Drew Brees, I believe it was yeah. not. Yeah, so uh, you know he has not seen them play uh or seen a seen a, a win but i i would like to think I don't, I don't think he's too you know yay Bengals, you know on the air i don't think he was doing that but i think you know probably i would like to think that deep down he was kind of you know fist pumping and and doing his thing unfortunately i couldn't hear too well what he was saying at the end at the end there well i mean how like were, were you watching at a party like did everyone go nuts like well, it was at a restaurant like, yeah it was at yeah. like a, a, a pizza joint yeah um yeah i mean I, I we didn't have like a gigantic group and it wasn't like a super packed place but you know our group was just kind of celebrating and watching and and all of that so uh okay. you know i mean yeah 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 but overall just uh an incredible game and it's it's so weird that you know f- for a lot of it it was like a lot of plot offensive plotting a lot of like methodical like the 17 play drive and all that kind of stuff it's there's all that and then there's just one or two big wacky plays that end up occurring that you know kind of tell the tale so um and that's that's what happened here so Bengals come out victorious they head to buffalo next week after buffalo survives a squeaker as well let's talk a little bit about some of the headlines and whatnot we talked about already about injuries along the offensive line and, and everything uh there's some stuff going on with the ravens and you know it's kind of like well how much of this do you actually want to give fire to but we'll say this one was pretty interesting here jk dobbins sounds off on lack of workload said he's quote tired of being held back now there's a lot of quotes that came out today john from the baltimore side and baltimore players roquan smith said they were the better team but still lost um and then you've got this one from jk dobbins which i find to be kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth here because you're coming back from a bad injury and i think the team was maybe trying to at least in some part, take a little pressure off yourself from the injury and ease yourself back in. Now, granted, if he's ready, he's ready to go. He's ready to take on a bigger workload. But I also think, too, I know he wants his carries, his touches, all that stuff. They put up 150 rushing yards between the three backs. They were all effective last night. So that's that's where I kind of give this one pause a little bit, and I don't want to say, oh, boy, the uh, – the wheels are coming off. There's dissension in, in the Baltimore Ravens, but this was just an interesting quote that I stumbled across and was, I don't know, a little bit surprised by it. I find it so funny that two of the players that were held out of the Week 18 game, J.K. Dobbins and Marcus Pierce, just became storylines this game and adding more fuel to the fire of this This just... It's it's so stupid. Like, J.K. Dobbins threw Tyler Huntley under the bus when Tyler Huntley had a really good game because he said... if. If we would have had Lamar, we would have won. Like, bro, That's the, other the quote. quarterback, yep. the quarterback wasn't the issue in this game for the Ravens. Tyler Huntley played fine. Like, who knows what Lamar Jackson would have been 
if he had came back for the first time in five weeks with, with no practice, people were questioning his toughness. Oh, just get out there and like play for your team and everything. If he's not good to play, he's not good to play. Tyler Huntley was good to play, and he played pretty well. Like He didn't play great. He obviously made one too many mistakes there that cost him the game, but I think it was really stupid for what J.K. Dobbins said. I just find everything that this Ravens team says just really stupid. Like These guys are just losers. It's not even fun to root against them or anything like that. And I, I, might, I might be sounding biased here, but like, I, I just hate the vibe that, that they give off with, with some of these quotes. Marcus Peters is a loser as well. He said some stupid stuff, and he did some stupid stuff on the field that it was clear for everyone. Punched him in the ribs! Punched him in the ribs. ribs. Sitting on Jamar Chase like the play before that, like it was clear the players were not happy with it. And again, just like we said last week, the Bengals players don't normally complain about stuff like this unless it actually happens and it's actually true and there's there's some weight behind it. And it's clear that Marcus Peters put on a really stupid show yesterday. Yeah, and then we saw a little bit. I, I didn't see it as it happened, but I saw it later on. Some of the twisting of of legs and ankles again of Joe Mixon by Roquan Smith, I believe, uh, after a couple of carries there. So, uh, you know, uh, the punch to the ribs thing was just like, what are you doing? I, I, I couldn't figure that one, uh, figure that one out there. But at, at any rate, those are some of the quotes coming out of there. And obviously the fans are, are believing that they feel like they should have won. I put out a tweet, John, kind of saying, hey, uh, <laughs> remember when the Bengals almost won with A.J. McCarron? Uh, kind of a similar <laughs> vibe coming out from Baltimore side of things this this week and um i don't know do you do you take any stock when they say i mean i know i know they want to say that hey we're the better team or we would have won if we had our starting quarterback all that kind of stuff do you take any stock in that or is it just you know they're they're just kind of talking to talk I'm talking which to i talk. Th- that's what R- i think R- roquan smith is just he's just coping that's that's just what you say when you play well and, and your team loses like oh you know, we're the better team, but sometimes the better team doesn't always win. Bro, just go to Cabo. Like, no one wants to do this. <laughs> well said. Well said. All right. Um, just a couple of others here. Uh, the, for the From the AFC North, we like to kind of whip around some headlines before we hop out of here. Just a couple. Here's one from the Browns, Dogs by Nature, the Cleveland Browns site. Uh within the SB nation network. And this is that the Cardinals hire a new GM Monty Austin Fort, and it could impact the Browns defensive coordinator search. Uh, and how you may ask, well, um, Sean Desai was in town for an interview today after the Seahawks lost. And so they've already completed interviews with Jim Schwartz. Oh boy. Would he, uh, I don't know about that one. Brian Flores <laughs> would be a good good hire there. Denard Wilson and Gerard Mayo pulled himself out from consideration there. But uh, they surprised the Arizona Cardinals, I guess, surprised some folks by hiring um, someone outside of the organization for their GM. Um, he's a Tennessee Titans and New England Patriots executive, Monty Austinfort. Um, so, yeah, and then Jim Harbaugh went back to Michigan. So I I don't know, man. I I don't know exactly. To me, it seems like Brian Flores probably should be, um, you know, the front runner here, but uh, we'll we'll see. Yeah. I'm interested in that. Like, cause the Steelers can't block him. Like obviously leaving or interviewing if he's just the positional coach and he's interviewing to be a coordinator, but that's still an assistant for one divisional team leaving for potentially another divisional team. So that, that, that shakes up the dynamic between both of those teams. And, you know, Flores can definitely coach. Like he's a great defensive mind and the the Browns could definitely use a a new one of those. 
Well, uh, not too much on the Steelers front as they are prepping for the offseason as well. And we've gone up upwards of uh, 45 minutes on this one talking about the Bengals breaking down their win, breaking down their offensive line and all kinds of different things. So hopefully you've enjoyed it. John, let's drop the mic and get out of here. Um, yeah. Uh, again, just a great time yesterday. Shout out to Ron Spatola for allowing me to come back and watch another win, watch another playoff win with him and his uh, better half, Misty. And um, yeah, it was, it was a great time yesterday. Again, shout out to my boys, Connor and Kyler at the Blind Pig for a night that... Do I they never... work there? No, they, no. Like, I was just... just in line and I was, I was wearing the jacket that Randall was wearing. They're like, hey, that's a nice jacket, man. We just chop, chopped it up. Next thing you know, I'm just down in shots with them. So it's a great night. We, what, was just, the, what was the shot just, of choice? It was just the green tea. It wasn't anything much. We, okay. The only, okay. the only thing that was missing... It was you, man. We, we need you back. Oh, I know. Oh, God, I know. I missed it. I missed it. I had serious FOMO. Serious FOMO this weekend. And I'm seeing people taking pictures with Chad and Hoosh and all kinds of stuff. And I'm going, oh, man, I just wish I could have swung it. Just couldn't. But hopefully they either host the AFC Championship or maybe I'll get my butt out to Arizona if, if everything makes sense there, too. So we'll see. But at any rate, that's going to do it for us. Thank you, John, for your insights. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. And leaving comments, watching us live, watching us after the fact, listening to us after the fact. We appreciate it. It's a passion project for us, and uh, you guys make it fun for us. So we appreciate it. Bengals win 24-17. They are on to Buffalo for a game that I, I think quite a few people will be very interested in. By the way, that's going to be, I believe, Sunday in, at uh, 3 Eastern, correct? Mm -hmm. Is that what they decided? Yeah. So definitely – Tune in for that and tune in for what we got coming for you the rest of this week. Oh, and one other thing. If you want to win some prizes like we put out on our Twitter account, you got to subscribe to our channels and you got to submit a donation to Ken Anderson Alliance. You've only got a few days left before we announce some winners. We've already got some people showing us proof. So go do all of that. Show us some proof. Donate to the Ken Anderson Alliance and you'll get some cool swag. Thanks, everybody. Take care. We'll see you next time.